All right, well, we are traveling through the book of Deuteronomy, and this evening we have landed in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we're going to talk about two things. They work together, but they also seem like they don't, to love and to obey. And we're going to talk about that in relation to the people of Israel as Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is speaking to the tribe of Israel before they are to go across the Jordan into the promised land. We're picking up and he is reminding them, prepping them, encouraging them for the battles that are yet to come because he can't go with them. So let's pray and then we'll jump into verses 1 through 7. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for bringing us here this evening, Lord. And since we are praying in the back with the guys, it is the highlight of our week to be here, Lord. And we just pray for extra energy for this evening. We pray that our bodies, you know, the flesh is weak, Lord, even though our spirits are willing. And we pray that you would encourage us and equip us through your word. We pray that we would be people of prayer, that we'd be applying your word through prayer into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read together verses 1 through 7. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm, his signs and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all his land, what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots, how he made the waters of the Red Sea overflow them as they pursued you, and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day, what he did for you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Dathan, to Abram, excuse me, to Abram, the sons of Eliab, the son of Reuben, how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up, their households, their tents, and all the substance that was in their possession in the midst of all Israel. But your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord, which he did. So God is commanding the people of Israel through Pharaoh to love him. You shall love the Lord your God, verse 1, and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. He's gonna, he gives a list of reasons. He gives a list of examples, what happens when you don't obey the Lord, what happens when you do obey the Lord. And that's going to be a lot of the theme here. And we're going to dissect that a little bit, but I want to spend time here in the beginning of the chapter talking about God's commandment for us to love him. You know, in the 21st century, and in America, with the English word love, we have this notion that it is passionate, it is emotional, that it is based on feelings, and it is far deeper than that. Um, if you've been with us in Corinthians, or when we get to go into Corinthians one more time, then you'll see the four different words the Greek language has, Kone Greek has, for the word love, and they're different definitions. But for us, we've seen that, that twisted. And to me, it really affects the guys the most, because if you're a guy like me, you're not passionate or f- have feelings based about anything, and then you hear God commanding you to love him, and you're like, but I can't do that. But that's not what God's talking about. See, the love of God comes from knowledge, 
comes from understanding, and it leads to obedience. It leads to submission to him. It's not based on anything else. The silly, media-based, romantic love that we've been indoctrinated with ever since we were children, doesn't matter what generation you are here, is not the love that God is looking for. It is far, far deeper than that. And it is very important. I find it fascinating that what is God after? He is after our love. He wants us to love him. How do we know this? In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, what is one of the main things that the Lord is upset about with the church? Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, if we have a wrong definition, we think, oh, man, I just, I really have to feel this thing. I really have to get emotional here. And then we, if you listen to contemporary Christian worship songs today, they are feelings and emotional based. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not the goal. That's a symptom. For some people that are more sensitive or more emotional, that comes more natural. If you're a farm tractor like I am, that just does not happen. That does not happen. And, but you'll begin to think, well, I must, God must not love me or I must not love God or even worse, there is no God because I don't feel these things. That is not what they're talking about here. It's a choice. Love is a choice. You choose to love God, you choose to obey Him. You choose to submit to Him. What did Jesus say in John 14 and 14, 15? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you, if, you, if, he loves, if you love God, you will do what He says. Now, the Scripture is very clear. Remember the book of Galatians, that the law is a schoolmaster that leads men to Christ. We can't keep the law. The law is here to show us that it's impossible for us to will these things to happen. And we're going to see that in verses 8 through 15. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you cross over to possess and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you have sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Verse 13. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season. The early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your, your grain, your new wine, and your oil. Verse 15, And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. So there is a constant theme here in the book of Deuteronomy. I'm going to look at some practical things here and some historical things that are pretty cool. But the constant theme here is, remember the Lord, remember your victories in God. He's going to bless you. If you obey him and you keep his law, you will be blessed. If you disobey God and you fall away from God, you will be cursed on the other hand. Bad things are going to happen to you. And you may say to yourself, 
Well, what kind of love is that? You know, we see that it is impossible for, the God, for man, it's impossible for man to keep the law. We, we already quoted Galatians, the law is a schoolmaster that leads man to Christ. We know in the book of Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the love of God, what is his proof of God's love for us? That he gave his only begotten son. That we cannot keep the law, and in spite of us not keeping it, he still saves us. But we see that there is a political and spiritual application specific to the nation of Israel. That there is a corporate blessing to them. What does that mean? That means that the nation of Israel, corporately, as a body, was going to be blessed as they kept the word of God. There's a practical, and then there's a supernatural application here. We cannot, this is very important, Bible students, you cannot apply the blessings and cursings, the supernatural application, to any other country or people on the planet. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Second, You cannot apply those supernatural blessings and curses to an individual. And I will give you some examples. I'm going to give you some examples because there's a lot of false doctrines that come from this. What do I mean? Well, let's start with Israel itself. I said that there was a practical and a supernatural. Practically speaking, like it says in Galatians, that as you sow, that shall you also reap. You sow to the Spirit, you will reap of the spirit, you sow to the flesh, you will reap of the flesh. If you have a life that is dedicated to the word of God, you obey God's commandments, you will, more times than others, be blessed. 100%. Why do I say, why is that not an absolute promise? We're going to talk about that in a minute. That is the practical blessing. If we as a nation dedicate ourselves to the word of God and say we want biblical principles in our nation, maybe, I don't know, 250 years ago, Maybe some founding fathers just so happened to base an entire political structure on the Bible that maybe supernaturally or maybe naturally that nation would become maybe 250, 300 years later the most powerful, best nation on the planet. Richest, light to the world on freedom and choice. Just taking it hypothetically. But... If you did not, maybe you, based your, maybe you based your country on humanistic principles, or maybe you based it on Islamic principles, or maybe you based it on communist principles, then that as you sow, that shall you also reap. You'll see that. So there's, we see there's a practical application. But why do I keep hedging myself here? Why do I keep putting the insurance policy in here? This does not work aside from the nation of Israel. It doesn't even work for the individual Jewish person that is obedient to God. Where are the people of Israel going across the Jordan? They're going into the promised land where God has promised the nation victory. But not every soldier that goes across is going to survive this war. See, on the individual level, it does not work. There are soldiers that are going to be fighting for the 12 tribes of Israel that are going to die righteously in combat. They're going to be serving God. They're going to get sick. There's people that are going to get hurt. There's people that are going to have calamity. In the New Testament, they brought it to to Jesus. They said, what happens to these people? What did their parents do? What did they do to sin to deserve this? And he said, "That's that's not what it is at all. 
So we see it doesn't work on an individual level. And you see so many prosperity gospel guys out there and gals these days that are saying that if you just love God, if you just are passionate about God, if you just have all these feelings and obey him, everything's going to work out great. Everything's going to be perfect. You just have to not look at any of the apostles. You just have to look at none of the martyrs of the church. You just have to look at none of the missionaries that are out there. You just have to ignore any person that's ever died from a health-related issue. You just have to ignore regular life itself. And as long as you just keep the blinders on and have enough faith, then you'll be blessed. That is not a true walk with the Lord. This is a unique blessing and cursing with the nation of Israel, not even the individual person that was in those tribes. Again, there are practical points that generally speaking, if you follow the word of God, you're going to be blessed mightily. My youth pastor, instrumental, instrumental in my walk with the Lord. His counseling with me, his uh, praying with me, his interceding for me, the stories for him, that, of him, the jokes that he would tell me, and he died of cancer. Like, why that guy? Because this, this world is not our home. This is a sin-cursed, fallen planet where bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. But I do know this, all things work together for the good for those that love Jesus. And I will see him again, and we will enjoy those jokes one more time. And I'll be able to look him in the eye and say, look what Jesus did in my life. And he used you to do it. And, he, and none of us are going to be like, yeah, that was such a bad plan. I really got the bum end of the deal on that one. No, neither one of us are going to say that. We have to have kingdom eyes. I want, this is so important because every one of us, you may be getting blessed right now and you're living in sin. And you're thinking that God's letting you get away with it. No, he's not. You may be going through traumatic trials. Everything may be falling apart. Or you're just not simply feeling, quote unquote, feeling your relationship with God, thinking you're abandoned. That has nothing to do with that. What is the proof of God's love? That he gave his only begotten son. We have battles to come. But we need to remember also spiritually that as we sow, that shall we also reap. What, why can I also say that this is unique for the nation of Israel? Let's look at those first seven verses again. Look at the examples that God gave. One of them was... In verse 6, Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliam, the sons of Reuben, how the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up. And if the Lord did that to rebellious politicians today, there wouldn't be none left. <laughs> but that was a unique, supernatural example that God used. Don't get me in trouble, guys. I'll go down a rabbit hole. It'll be recorded. Pastor Sandy, my pastor Mark, will be calling me. It's just not good. It's talking about Sandy Adams. Don't get me in trouble. And, but we see these are unique issues. Now, I want to change subjects now because this is kind of fascinating. In verse 10, it talks about it will not be like it was in Egypt when you sowed your seed and watered it by foot. What in the world is he talking about here? When their parents were slaves in Egypt... 
they used irrigation for the fields. They, they didn't rain. It hardly rained there. At least historically speaking, it had like one to two inches of rain. It's a desert area. It was the overflow of the Nile that they were able to grow crops. But then what does it say in the nation of Israel? You can't do that anymore. I have not been to Israel, but I read books and look at pictures. And it says that there are hills, rocky hills all over the place. You can't irrigate that place. They, don't, they didn't have pumps to pump it up. But the word of God, historically, scientifically exa- accurate, says, how are they going to get water? The Lord, verse 12, and a land which the Lord your God cares, the eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from beginning of the year to the very end, end of the year. Let me find the verse. It's verse 14. Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine, and your oil. I will send the grass in your fields for your livestock. God is saying that he is going to water the area. You can't rely on irrigation. The Nile's not going to be there anymore. You're going to be in the promised land. And if you obey and if you follow me, nation of Israel, I'm going to give you constant rain, right amount at the right time to keep your fields. You got to trust me. You got to walk with me. You got to love me. If you abandon me, if you go worship false idols, if you walk away from me, even after I led you through all these miracles, that's what Moses is reminding them in the first portion of this chapter, you're not going to get the rain. And guess what? The rain didn't always come uh, because the nation of Israel couldn't keep the commandments. They couldn't keep all the statutes. And I, I find that fascinating. We in America today, I am so spoiled. I didn't feel like going home and eating lunch today. So you know what I decided to do? I'm going to go through the drive-thru. But I'm so spoiled, I count the cars in the drive-thru. I'm texting my wife. Can you believe there are 10 people in this line over here? And I'm not going there. So what do I do? 200 yards down the road, there's another one. There's 20 cars in line over at this one. Absolutely not. I go to the third location. All right, this one's not too bad. I'm going to stay in line here. Like, I can follow my appetite for my food. If I'm too lazy to open my refrigerator and spend five minutes assembling my lunch, I can go spend 15 minutes in a drive-thru listening to the radio. That's how how spoiled we are. If if you were in Israel, crossed into the promised land, you had to fight for your country, you had to fight for your land, then you were going to take over the first crop because it was already sowed, Remember, the Lord promised the nation of Israel, you're going to go where you don't have to plant. You're going to go where you just have to pick up the harvest. Everything's going to be ready. Your houses are going to be made. That promise is fulfilled. But then you have to re-sow every year, and you've got to wait for every crop. And you've got to look at the weather. I hope it's going to rain, because if it doesn't rain this year, I'm not sure we're going to eat next year. But we're getting a little taste of that now. At the time of this study, you know, it's 2022, we're talking about Feed prices going way up, corn prices going way up. We're talking about fertilizer prices. And people are beginning to think a little bit about their food. We live in an instant society, and this is the whole point for this whole story, where we don't rely on God for our sustenance. We rely on, quote-unquote, man. We rely on politics. We rely on science. We rely on it's always been that way. But it's not always going to be that way, folks. Even in the United States of America, if you look historically, the number one reason why 
people were not permitted to join the military during World War II was from malnutrition coming through the Great Depression. We had so many people that were malnourished that even during the, the World War II, the largest war to this date, they were not taking certain applicants because they were too malnourished in this country. Now, we got the exact opposite. We're so fat that we can't, they're trying to figure out uh, boot camp light and how to thin people down because we don't have enough recruits. You can go ahead and, and Google search that one and have a good time looking it up. What am I getting at here? Do you rely on God? Are you choosing to love him and are you relying on him? Or the reason we're so distracted and not seeking him is because we think it's feelings-based, we think it's emotional, and because we're not relying on him. We can choose when we want something. I never pray harder than when I'm sick. I never pray harder than when my family goes without. Suddenly, I am on my knees. Something for all of us to, to think about here because that's what God is promising the nation of Israel That's what he's talking to his people about. Rely on me, stick with me, follow me. And he's warning them, if you don't, it's all going to fall apart. Well, if our nation is falling apart, it's because we're not seeking after him anymore. If our church is falling apart, it's because we're not seeking after him anymore. If your family is falling apart, you're not seeking after him. You're relying on yourself. If you are falling apart, the application remains the same. Choose to obey God and realize and realize that not all bad things that happen are God's judgment. Ask Job. He was a righteous man. Ask the 12 disciples. Ask them. We're not talking about Judas. We're talking about his replacement now. But you can follow after the Lord, and, and tough times can happen. Seek him. Trust him. Now let's continue in verses 16 through 21. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Verse 18, therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, And bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days may be the days of your children. Let me try that the right way, verse 21. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them like the days of the heavens above the earth. Now, don't mess up. If you mess up, it's all going to fall apart. The issue is the nation of Israel is going to mess up. We're in the book of Ruth on Sunday mornings in the time of the judges. That's not very far removed from this time period. A generation or two later, everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. And we've, we've spoken on Sunday mornings about how that generation is very similar to this generation, where every man is doing what's right in their own eyes. <laughs> We're just making it up as we go along. I have been personally feeling that the Lord has been speaking to our fellowship here at Calvary Chapel Low Country specifically about this 
multiple generations and teaching from the older to the younger, the younger encouraging with their enthusiasm, the, olders, the elders using their wisdom and applying it. And here we are seeing it once again. It just keeps jumping out over and over again in Ruth and the women's studies and the men's studies and then now here on Wednesday night as well. It says here that we're to lay up these words in our heart and our soul, bind them as a sign on your hand and on the frontlets between your eyes and teach them to your children. Verse 19, you shall teach them to your children. First, let's talk about Israel and what we call, I call Jewish culture, because not biblical. They have that, they wrap their hands super tight, they put that box on their forehead, orthodox, ultra-orthodox and orthodox Jews, that is. And you'll go and you'll see them have that little um, cylinder by the doorpost of their house. There's a piece of the Torah in there. They spend a lot of money on these things. Not all, but many spend a lot of money on these. They're very important. That's not what the Lord is talking about. He's talking about placing it in your heart and your soul. I've been to a lot of homes with some good people in it, but they have that tour in the front. I can't help myself. I have to ask them about it. Oh, yeah, I'm Jewish. That's just what we do. Like, it's just a tradition to them. And the tradition has been passed on. But the importance is laying it upon your heart and your soul. Now, I am I'm under, very well understood that that's not all people, that there are a great many of them that do that with all the passion in their heart. And they need Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. But there's a great many more that do it out of habit. What are you teaching your kids? Are you teaching them religious habits? Are they going to pass on religious habits? I don't want my kids just to go to church. I want them to know and love God. My kids, they get upset with me because I pray the exact same prayer every single night that they would love the Lord more and more every single day. That's in every single one of my prayers of them when I put them to bed at night, I pray that prayer. Ask them, they'll laugh, they'll cringe, they'll cry. (laughs) Have you taught your children how to fail as a Christian? How to fail as a Christian? I already told you the children of Israel are not going to keep these commandments. They're going to fail. We as grace saved believers in the Lord Jesus Christ understand that we cannot keep the law and that all have sinned and fallen short. But we make this perfect Christian ideal, and then when our kids and our grandkids can't meet the ideal, they say, well, that's not for me. It didn't work. Or they see an audience of people with tears coming down and singing some religious gobbledygook love song. That's not a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you teaching them how to trust the Lord when their spouse has just been diagnosed with cancer? Are you teaching them how to cry out to the Lord when there's no money in the bank and the bills are coming in? Are you teaching them how to face doubts? And are you teaching them how to face um, opposition in the world? Or are you teaching them how to show up every Sunday morning and clock in? What are we to do here? Verse 19, you shall teach them to your children Speaking of them when you sit in your where? House. In your house, in your home. Teach them in your home. Teach them at your dinner table. Well, my kids are long gone. They don't want to talk to me anymore. I met some of you. You know, it's probably your fault. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm joking. What about your grandkids? 
They don't want to talk to you? Adopt my kids. Preach truth into my kids, into the other kids here. We need every generation. We need to learn from the mistakes. We need to learn how to fail. We need to encourage other moms and dads here with their kids. They don't know what they're doing any more than you did. No, you need to be teaching in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Nowhere in there does it say anything about the synagogue. Nowhere in there does it say anything about the tabernacle. We teach Christ for life, in our life, for living a real life, not a fake Christian life. We need to be teaching. Now, you're living by yourself. You don't have any kids. You don't have any grandkids. There's nobody in your lineage. There are people here. There are friends and family that you need to invest in. Pray with them. Talk with them. Share your experiences with them. And if that doesn't work, adopt a non-believer. Talk to them enough about Christ. They'll either get saved or you'll never hear from them again. <laughs> if they don't want to talk about the Lord, why, why worry about it anyway? No, I, again, I think it's t- the Lord is speaking to our fellowship, encouraging us. This is the real deal, y'all. We need to be engaged. And then what does it say there? Let's read verses 18 to 21 because oh, I did 16 to 21, and then it's supposed to be... 22 through 25. So pretend that says 22 through 25. For if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I have commanded you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to hold fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours from wilderness and Lebanon from the river, the river Euphrates, even to the western sea shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he has said to you. Over and over again, what's the emphasis here? The Lord will do this. The Lord will do that. The Lord will do that too. The people of Israel can't do those things. It's impossible. Remember, they're a small nation and a small people and they're going to go into a well-entrenched land where they're outnumbered by people far greater, far stronger, and far better armed and equipped than they are, and yet they're going to have success. The Lord will do the work. But I want to point out to you, just to hammer it home, Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, but they will take casualties. People will die in this war. What about them? Christian, let's bring this back to the New Testament. When I, when I think about my youth pastor and I think about his life and I think about the legacy that he has by preaching Christ, he lives. He's, he's with the Father at the right hand. He's with the Lord. I think, well, you know, what if he, had, he should have just had more time? Lord, if you had just given him more time. Maybe, maybe, but the Lord said that was enough. He had a mission. That mission was accomplished. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the grace of the Lord. And that's how I feel about these soldiers that would go across with their families, walking in God's promises, trusting in God's promises, and then if they were to fall, into Abraham's bosom until the Lord would take them home. They're not complaining right now. But we we don't have the same mindset because we think, me, 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 me. Everyone, I need to be successful. 
unless God materially blesses me, gives me good health, gives me a great family, then that's a real God. And if he doesn't do those things and he really doesn't love me, he's probably not real anyway. That's not biblical. That's not life. That's not true. It's appointed for a man once to die. That's it. We have to live every moment until then. But then, once you pass through that threshold, it's for eternity. Unlimited time with the king. We have a short life to live. A short life. Leave no doubt, however, when you live here on this planet, occupying until he comes, until our plan, his plan with us, excuse me, is fulfilled, that he's the one that does the work, not us. He's the one that grants the victory. He's the one that gets the nation of Israel into the promised land. It definitely was not because of their obedience. It wasn't because of how great they were. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your circumstances. Trust him with your failures. Trust him with the failures of this world. Trust him when everything is falling apart. Trust him. Especially when you messed it all up. Trust him. The same way that they had to trust the Lord to bring the rain and the harvest. That's the same way that we need to be trusting him as well. And then that trust equals obedience. Remember what Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What did he have against the church there in Revelation? That you've left your first love. Not the emotional stuff. Remember, we we got that out of the way. Real obedience to him, choosing to follow after him. Let's read verses 26 through 32. I got that slide right. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known, now it shall be. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess, that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of the Jordan, toward the setting sun, and on the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain of the opposite Gilgal, beside the terebinth trees of Morah? For you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all the statutes and judgments which I set before you today. These two mountains, one means harvest and one means um, like drought. One means um, lacking. Uh, means you don't, you don't get anything. There's a choice. Behold, I set before you a blessing and a curse. There's a choice. We talked about trusting the Lord. Some of our choices have led to cursings in our life. No, not... Not God's judgment, because if we were judged for our deeds, we'd be just dust. We'd be pillars of salt. We'd be gone. No, I'm talking about just poor choices, reaping what you sow. That as you sow, that shall you also reap. God is not mocked. I've made a lot of dumb, dumb choices in my life. It's led to pain for my wife and for my kids. Bad, dumb things I've done. And there's some things where I'm like, Lord, how in the world did you continue to bless me? So that's what I want to point out. These curses are very clear from God to what will happen to the nation of Israel, especially once we get to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, 
that it's much stricter and worse. I ask you this, why does Israel exist today? Why do these tribes exist today? We don't know who's in which tribe. No, we don't. But the tribes exist. They're here. There's no lost tribes. Don't get, don't get it twisted. None of, God knows every single one of them. Otherwise, how did he number them in the book of Revelation? God's not a liar. He, he knows exactly how many of which tribe they are. How do they exist today based on these cursings? The grace of our God, the unmerited, unearned favor of our Lord. That in spite of failing, in spite of the book of Judges, kings, bad kings, good kings, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, taken into captivity by the Assyrians, by the Persians, bringing back into the land, leaving him again, being taken over by the Romans, being thrown out in 70 AD of the promised land, scattered across all the world, in spite of them rejecting his son, in spite of them adding religious rituals and lifting up their rabbis more than the, God, the God's word themselves, in spite of all these things, the Lord says they are his chosen people and they're in the land today. So I, I ask you this. Are you choosing his blessings or his cursings? Are you, you might have really messed things up. Isn't it better to just walk by faith from now on and follow after the word of God? Wouldn't it be better to say, like the prodigal son, it is better to be a servant in my father's house than it is to be a slave in the world? And come back to the Lord with humility? He will run to you. It's the only place in scripture we see him running is the prodigal son. And he will, he will give you a robe and the ring. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he never took it away. You're clothed in his righteousness. Maybe you're the person that, you know, you've been going through a lot of difficulty and you're just wondering why and you think God's cursed you. He has not. He has not. Like I said, you'd be a pillar of salt. Follow him today. Choose him. Ultimately, it comes down to, are you choosing to love and obey him? In spite of your feelings, in spite of your emotions, in spite of the broken pieces of whatever it is that you're looking at, are you choosing to follow him? They're going to cross over the Jordan and they're going to go into combat and they're going to go and fight and they're trusting their lives and they're trusting their sustenance and they're trusting their fields that God's going to lead them through it. And even though they are going to do that, they are going to fail over and over and over again. But here they are in the land today by his grace. And so if the Lord says that he'll never leave or forsake Israel and they're existing today, and he says he'll never leave us nor forsake us, has he abandoned you? Never. Will he abandon you? Never. Go back to him. Go back to the word of God. Teach your kids about the word of God. Teach your family about the word of God, your friends and your family, your neighbors. Teach them from your mistakes if you have to. But trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter. We thank you that you take us broken, hurting. You have a real word for real people with a real life. And we pray, Lord, that you would use us. Do something incredible here in this fellowship, Lord. Do something miraculous. Have your word go forth in power and change lives. Minister to our, our old, our young, our teenagers, our infants, Lord. Let this place be filled with your spirit, Lord. 
And then let's take it back to our houses, Lord. We pray you bless our homes and our houses as we teach the word of God to our kids, our wives, our husbands, our children, our grandkids, our neighbors, our coworkers, Lord. And just as you told the people of Israel as they went into the Jordan that you would grant them victory, we pray that you would have your way in our lives and in our nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.